Well, as I mentioned, we are going to take a look at um, Colossians chapter 3. For next week, we'll begin the Old Testament book of Jonah. We made it to Obadiah, and so we'll pick up in Jonah next week. So if you want to read ahead on that and get started, we'll go through that book. And then, uh, see, what are we doing? Sunday, we're doing Galatians, right? You guys doing that with me? Good, good. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll be wrapping that up. I shouldn't say it because sometimes I change my mind, but I think we'll be in 1 Corinthians after that. But we haven't done 1 Corinthians for, uh, I looked, it's been six years. So, no, eight years. <laughs> so it's been a while. So I kind of have to look at it, you know, because our, our community is so, it, it transitioned so much. You know, so to to think, how do we how do we select which passage? How do what portion of scripture? How do we? And I, I just find it so simple. It's like, Lord, I don't know. It's the best thing I've found to say. God, I don't know. You know, but I looked. Like, well, we haven't done that this week, so that's open. I haven't done that one this year, so maybe that we maybe we can dig into that. So just through a little prayer time and through consideration, we find ourselves going. Okay. So anyway, let's uh, let me give you a little more intro into. And you already picked up on it from. Just my heart from the prayer, you know, one of the things I'm concerned about is, um, you know, our children and our youth knowing who they are. Because when they know the, who they are, then they start getting a sense of how to live and, and how to carry themselves. And they're not as, as closely attached to someone else's opinion about them. They start having a sense of confidence because certainty produces consistency, Right? And when there's something you're certain of, and you, you, when you embrace that, and actually you could say even build confidence, it produces consistency. But uncertainty promotes instability. So when you're uncertain, or you could even say it promotes inconsistency, um, a reference to that would be in James where he says, the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And what that really says is that person who wants to do this and wants to do that never is satisfied in either place, torn and unstable, unable to make consistent decisions and, and have a consistent uh, life of character, integrity, or whatever they may be striving for. And so as we look at this tonight, I want to approach it in chapter 3 with that awareness of you know, God has done a work in our lives. He, you are uh, set apart. You are his child as a, as a born-again Christian. That needs to be established in your mind because of what he's done. Not because of how you feel, not because of what you hope to do later, but because straightforward, simply put, it's because of who he is. His promises presented, his promises fulfilled, because of who God is, we have great confidence. I hope you have what I have in the sense of, I have a rapidly diminishing confidence in myself and a greatly increasing confidence in God. And it happens every single day that it's just like, I can put my confidence in this or I can put my confidence in him. And, and I'm, I'm a slow learner, so I'm 30 plus years into this Christian journey. So I don't know, maybe I'm just now waking up a little bit, but I, I, maybe not, I don't know. So hopefully you are at that same point where you, you believe and know. It's one thing to know it in your head. It's a different element to be living it from your heart. And so 
A relationship is from the heart. A religion is more from the head. Let's begin in chapter 3 of Colossians uh, there in verse 1. Since, or if then, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So since, he's really working, because, you know, he's obviously two chapters, you know, bringing this around to what is going to be the emphasis and the application of the doctrine presented in those first two chapters. He's going to say, now, since, since this is the case, you were raised with Christ, you were brought from what the Bible speaks of, the, the miry clay, and placed upon the sure foundation, the rock of Christ. So since you've been raised, since you've been, you're in this born-again experience, Seek those things which are above. And, and it's so important because, you know, just think about that element. We'll see more of this thought in, in later in the chapter. But it's, I, I was this person living this way. I, I, I'm born again because I, I agreed with God. I received his gift of salvation. I accepted, like you did, his forgiveness. And so now I'm a new person. Are you? Yes, you are on the inside, but you didn't get no all seeing eye on your forehead now that you can perceive spiritual truth at just a glance. You're still in the same frame, still in the same body. You look the same, more or less. You hopefully don't act the same, but you see what's been presented here? Since you're his, since you were raised with him, affix your eyes, turn your heart, seek those things which are above. So where I lived at this horizontal plane, I now want to be looking up. And it's not a physical thing where you look up and walk into a wall because you're so spiritually minded, you're not paying attention to how you're living. But it's just a sense of like, I, 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 that's who I used to be. And, and, you know, some of you, your used to be isn't too far from where you are currently. And I mean that as a compliment. You know, some people grew up in the church. They grew up going to church. They embraced the simple guidelines of morality and, and godly living and, and, and pleasant life and polite people. And at some point, as they've been lived in that, they, they, they responded with a, with a, entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So their, their life wasn't so far off. Then there's the rest of us who, you know, we're way out there in all different forms and variations. And we were, there's such a contrast. And when we come to Christ... We have so much that is shameful and embarrassing that we look over at. And so we got to learn to let go of that. And literally, it speaks of putting it to death, having no life in it, and start seeking those things which are above. Which I find very fascinating because as a young Christian, I, uh, I really wanted to know the Bible. I, I really just, it was just an appetite you have and I had, have. And, and so I just, but... I didn't want to read it. I wanted to know it, but these are just, oh my gosh, this is so boring. It is so slow. Oh my, you know, and, and I'm a, a guy, so I know how to do things. I told Kim, I said, you know, I want to read the Bible. She says, okay, well, you should start in John. I'm like, why would I start in the middle of a book? That's ridiculous. And she's like, well, so it's two book. It's one book in two sections with other. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just starting in Genesis. So I started with, you know, a bad idea. Not that Genesis is bad, but my mindset was like to just learn it. So I started through, I made a portion of Genesis, and 
And then I started developing this prayer that I really embraced at Leviticus. And it was a prayer of, okay, God, I'm just tired. I go to, I'd start reading in bed. I literally, you know, I'd be tired and like, oh, I want to get my reading done. So I'd lay down in bed, prop my pillow up a little bit and start reading with like this. That's just dumb. It's like there's, I have no, I know myself. I'm a pretty active guy, even when I was younger. And so when I sit down, I shut down. You know, that's just how my life goes. And so I would start reading the Bible and just like, and I would start praying, like, hey, God, I just, you know my heart. I really want to know this. So, and I literally, I just would let it lay on my chest. It was that, uh, the, my first um, Thompson Chain Bible, which is a lot of commentary, a lot of stuff in it. So it's kind of heavy, you know. I just lay there like, okay, Lord, just, just bring it in, you know. I, I thought, and I, I still think it's a good idea. I really do. Can we agree? It, I mean, if you want to be spiritually lazy, it's a great idea. See, I, I could find hunting things to read. I could find motocross things to read back then. I could find things that I was interested to read. I could read them. But I couldn't set my mind. I couldn't look and go, okay, I, I need to do this. And so I'm such a, such a highly intelligent human being. I did this. I'm going to read before I go to bed. Deep thoughts, right? It's like most people would say, why wouldn't you start there? Why would you lay down in the, in the, in the pre-sleep position and then try to read. It doesn't make sense, you know. And I'm saying this because it was just, it was, I look back on it with joy and kind of humor, but I had to start making changes in my daily habits because my heart had a new hunger. I really wanted to know these things. And, and I come across this passage in the New Testament that study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And it's like, Study and workman are the two things that stood out to me. It wasn't that I could intellectually or you could intellectually grasp all the scripture by just effort. We know that the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit for these things are spiritually discerned. So we have to have the Holy Spirit revealing truth to us as we even said, you know, Jesus even said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring to your remembrance all things that I've spoken to you. So we know that's the role of the Holy Spirit, but notice we're also invited and even... It required, if you would, to be workmen who study. So we dig in by faith, believing they'll teach us. And so it, it's an element of what we see here. We seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. You know, Hebrews were told that, he, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. It conveys to us this authority and this victory, this, this unity with the, in the Godhead. One God, triune God, expressed in three personages. So he's victorious and he's saying, you are there, you're, you're sitting at the right hand of God. Well, I don't remember sitting there. You see what he's trying to convey to you and I? You're, you're, it's, the victory is accomplished. The battle must be, you must go through the battle. So you see, he's like, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden there. You died. Did you die? I, I don't know. I didn't feel death when I was born again. But the power of sin is dead to you. The influence of sin is present. Does that make sense? 
You are no longer shackled to sin. You've been released from it. And so we got to realize, okay, I am, we're new people. We're new in Christ. Our set of minds, you, you died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. This is your life. And when something's hidden and it's important and valuable, you look for it. Okay, what is my life in Christ? Not just individually, uniquely. That's very much a curiosity. But what, it is, what is it in the body of Christ that we are his and we are called him? So he goes on to say, when Christ, you know, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We look forward to his coming, right? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. But I haven't met very many people, and I really believe this is an element of true humility, that are looking forward to coming and being a part of the glory. We just want to get out of here. You know, we are so done with some of the garbage that we're having to deal with in life and all this stuff. We're, we're not cold-hearted, I hope, to the people, but we see a direction, and it's not, not looking good. But understand that God has for his children an element of glory as well, just simply being united with him. I think of it sometimes, it's like, you know, when these... Uh, sporting events take place like the Super Bowl and, uh, um, you know, Super, I guess not Super, but anyway, it's this big game that takes place. And when the winning team is there and there's all this exuberance and excitement, do you know most of those people never played on the field? Do you know that? There's many that are backup or they're a helper or they pick up the tablet when the superstar gets mad and throw it or whatever their, their actual role is. But when when the when it they get a they get a ring for the most part I don't know what what the line is I don't know if you get like a helper ring or a legitimate Super Bowl ring or what but you you're a part of, you're excited we won see the body of Christ needs to realize that his victory is complete we're more than overcomers we're a part of this and we'll be a part of the of the glory of of his new kingdom new realm the new heaven and the new earth that that Jesus speaks of. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's, that's just something I look forward to. I go, you know what? I'm not there yet, but I'm excited for what he is going to do. Therefore, verse 5. So I spent a little time here because 1 through 4 is the who you are. Now is the how you are. When you understand, this, this is who we are in Christ. And, of course, to get a bigger grasp and a greater understanding, you'd read chapters, Colossians 1, clear through chapter 2 as you arrived at chapter 3 and seen this. Uh, declaration in the first four verses. Now, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And you, you see there's some similarities to what we looked at, looked at on Sunday in Galatians 5. Put to death your members which are on the earth. There's these, these desires, there's these activities, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So, verse 5, put to death your members. And so, how do you do that? I mean, how do you kill it? Because it's really what it's saying. It's not just saying, um, neutralize it and try to have it less influential. The word in the Greek speaks of, like, totally eradicate it, kill it. And so here's the way to see it as you work through the reality of it. Do nothing to give it life. Do nothing to give it life. If, if, a, if a plant, you take a branch, 
and a branch is broken off, it, it's going to wither and die because it doesn't have life flowing through it, through the sap and the, whatever the nutrients are getting there. It's broken off. And so in a sense, we're broken off. We're not there anymore. But you can take a plant, a, a broken branch, and you can put it in the soil with the water source, and it will not die as fast. Does that make sense? And sometimes we, we know we're dead to those things. They no longer have power over me. And, and yet we sometimes just entertain some of these things. Well, it's not that big a deal. There is no such thing as a small sin. There are some consequences and there is, you know, uh, accountability and there's certain, uh, I would say, degrees of sin that the Bible speaks of, you know, in, in, in a sense of uh, consequences. But there's not one that says, but this one is negotiable. This one's not that big a deal. And when you look at, when you see these lists, like we looked in Galatians, and you look here, and you see these things that are really disturbing to us, and we would not be drawn to any of this part of verse 5. But then it continues in verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Who's he talking to? People that are not yet Christians? No. The body of Christ. He's speaking to Christians because we can get drawn into this and we can, we can give some sense of life to these old things in our lives. And, and it's much better just to, to let them die and to treat them as dead, to give them no life in your life. Because these things, you know, we know what happens. I love the association he brought together in verses 6 and 7, which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You, some of you, like I mentioned, didn't have that element of journey that others did, and, and others maybe were just immersed in, um, you know, a, a very ungodly life. They, it might be a family tradition, you could say. So they maybe could understand, yeah, I, I once lived the same way with this list of verse 5 and these various things, and even I still deal with the, the various details listed in verse 8. But notice that's past tense. You once walked in them. Once walked when you lived in them. You once did that. It's clearly stating that we no longer do that. Not that we're perfect. Because you will be tempted. You will look. You will lean. But when you seek those things which are above, what do you find yourself doing? That's why you're here tonight, right? You're, you're literally, you're, you're, you're reading your Bible during the week, you're doing it on your own, you're coming in for a Bible study and some worship. Um, most of you, I know most of you, you're, you're in service on a Sunday morning because you're, you're wanting to just get a, 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 a vertical set. You want to be uh, obedient and seeking the Lord because many of you know what it's like to live that other way. And you're like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm done with that. Part of me says, well, you know, I'm just going to capture what I've got in the sense of I lived an ungodly life. I grew up in, by all measures of scripture, a, a Christ-rejecting family who their parents were Christ-rejecting people as well. Uh, we went back and I think, we, I think I have one grandparent that... Um, there seemed to be a, 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 a relationship only because we got a family Bible, which doesn't designate relationship, <laughs> but it does when you got notes in it, you know, where there's these things that are can, can mentioned. But anyway, you know, so, you know, there's all that that just, it's, it's, 
It's behind me. I look at it and go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to take, listen, I have tasted and seen that it's terrible. And so I'm just going to say, hey, you know, that's just, I, I, I can confirm that that is not the way to live. And I can say this, I'll taste and see, and it is good. And so there's, I'm going to make my choice. I want to move forward. I want to choose these things, set my mind on these things. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Since you put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So once again, you see this reminder and, and uh, you know, we're being told something we shouldn't have to be told, but it's important that we're told. <laughs> Do not lie to one another. Now, the only reason he says that is because I touched on it on Sunday. It's just, we don't lie. We just don't, we, we're just selective on how we reassert the truth. In other words, it just depends on how beneficial it is on how we go over some details. Here's, here's the thought. Uh, so, boy, my editor's going, no, don't go there. But I don't listen to that. So, um, you go through the checkout, and they were rude to you when, into the, when you went into the store. They were unhelpful when you're trying to find stuff you needed. It was just a bad experience. You go through, and and then they charge you more. It's like, so, what do you do? You tell them. You you guys charged me too much on top of everything else, which I'm not going to get into. But, you know, you guys, you, you charged me too much. Okay. Same experience, same scenario, same checker. You go through, and they're actually more rude to you. They're just you know, in their own little zone. But they didn't charge you for everything. They inadvertently missed a few things and give you cash back. What do you do now? I would like to say we all say, you know what? It's, it's just the right way is the right way, no matter how it works out for me. But, you know, we'll not do an, a survey. We'll not do an anonymous survey. But I think most of us know there are times we justify profit and complain about expense. Because we found ways to justify it. If you're paid too little on your check and you worked over, are you going to say anything? Yes. You Don't look at me like you guys don't know. It's like, I know you know. Yeah, I'm going to say something. But if I'm paid too much, well, it's fine. They owed it to me. You know, they kind of chipped me off last summer when I was on vacation. So, I mean, that I just, that's how, that's how, we can get into this and say, you know what, there's a line in the sand, right is right, no matter how it affects me, it's still right. And I'm just using those examples because sometimes we use this little kind of relational preference and we describe things and I just don't ever want to start down that road. I don't ever want to, you know, make it okay to say it that way because I didn't want to get into it with them anyway. And so... I, I do have some challenges in this because maybe I should back off a little. But I just don't like putting off things that need to be addressed. And I don't like just deferring things because it's just easier. And a few things I've had to deal with here in the last couple months and, and just, you know, in ministry-related stuff. And it's like, you just can't do it that way. It just isn't right. I wouldn't do it at work. I wouldn't do it in the world. And you can't do it that way. You can't be imply it's okay don't lie to one another most people won't flagrantly blatantly lie but we're prone to protect ourselves and promote ourselves 
And so we just got to be honest. Don't lie to one another. Since you put off the old man, that's not you anymore. This is you previously. This is you with him as your focus. This is where we're going. That's where we were. So let's go this way. Let's let's put our put off the old. It it speaks of of literally functionally apparel. You were dressed like this, and now adorn yourself or let the work that's taking place on the inside be expressed in your life, be seen, which is kind of why it uses that analogy. So when you're when you're stone broke or you're choosing to live a life on the street, and you're you're you you, you kind of there's a, a common thing with people who choose to really embed into that lifestyle, they're not making a fashion statement. Have you noticed? They don't really care. They're actually, you know, they're kind of just living on the street. Some of them don't really care. But when you're removed from that, in this analogy, when you're removed from that, and you're given the garment of a prince and a princess, you put on that garment. You live differently because of what? Because you know who you are. And who you are will affect how you are. So I think you put on this new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we're being renewed in the knowledge of God day by day. Tonight, later tonight, in the middle of the night when you want to sleep and you wake up and you don't know why, you, you still have opportunity to be renewed. Continually being renewed. That's why in uh, you know, our, our, uh, one of our um, church verses, if you would, from the, when we first started out here, when we first moved out here, and it just seemed to be really set more and more, is Second Peter chapter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. So be it. Amen means so be it. So, man, we want to grow. We want to be renewed in Him. Because, you know, when you're renewed in Him, you're not interested in that anymore. As you daily experience His forgiveness, as you are, are, are grabbing hold of understanding, and, and you're seeing things differently, and you're learning love, not just judgment, it's changing. And it's not just for one of us or some of the hierarchy or some that are really committed, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. That's a very, very bold statement in that culture. If you're familiar with, with Roman um, substructure in the Roman society, you know, they had millions of slaves. The slavery was just the thing. It wasn't just the Roman Empire. It was, it was you know, there's a long history of slavery. That's why I get, I just don't understand where people that present themselves as academic or, you know, knowledgeable that then criticize Christianity because there was, the Bible speaks of slavery, seemingly almost to promote it. Just because the, God, the Bible identifies something doesn't mean it promotes something, right? David, we're told he did what? He sinned pretty bad. Yeah, he killed people, committed adultery, covered it up. That is not promote, promoting that activity, agreed? It's presenting, it's just a place. So it's not saying that slavery you know, is, is promoted by Christianity. Actually, if you're an honest person, you go, wait a minute. There was slavery long before Christ, before he walked. And it's since the church, the slavery has been actually strongly undermined and looked down upon. And it's because of passages like this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. 
where you know we're, we're one in Christ. We're one, and and so when they said that, you that there's some portions of scripture when we come across, we just don't necessarily get it from a cultural perspective. But can you imagine when you're a slave owner and you're a slave, and they get the same letter, <laughs> and and he's being said, and and if you think about, uh, I know, I'm going to move on a little bit from that. You get it. We are one in Christ. That helps us to see God has given you and I an interdependence, not independence. We have individuality, but we're interdependent on one another. We know that because the Bible speaks in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, about the body of Christ. Speaking of that analogy, you know, the, the fingers and the hands and the head and the toes all work together. So we're interdependent individuals that are not meant to be uniform, but meant to be united. So there's a unity, but let's not think it's supposed to be uniformity. Uniformity would imply that we all look the same, do the same, and be the same. Therefore, we are the same. And actually, Christ says, no, no, no. He didn't come and break down the socioeconomic structure and classes. He didn't change all uh, skin complexion and color to be one. He didn't make everybody to be bald or hairy or, you see what I'm saying? You know, there, there's this beautiful um, individuality with interdependence that reveals the creativity and the love and the beauty of God and then the unity that's brought in within that, that we were united in him. Therefore, verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Not one of those is a true distinctive or attribute in this world that is corporately promoted. No business. The business that says, hey, you know, just be kind and humble. You'll get yours. Your day will come. It's not, it's not in the genuineness of the meaning. I mean, this is interrelational. This speaks of people you're putting on tender mercy, you know, being kind to one another, humility, meekness. Meekness is strength under control. Having the power to do either, but yet choosing to do what's right. Having this, you know, uh, heart that's willing to move in the right direction. Long-suffering. So in the Greek, what that means is long and suffering. That's what I mean. It's just, and nobody's gonna likes to put those words together. I would like short suffering. I would like maybe moderate or never suffering. But long suffering indicates that there's just some things you need to endure through, to persevere in, and and just really pray through because they just don't seem to go away. Some of you have dealt that with physical needs. Some of you have uh, are dealing with it with relational needs. Um, various different things that you face. And so he's saying, listen, put these things on. Let these be the expression of the heart, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also might want to think about it. I might have misread that. So you also must do. So how did he forgive you? You had nothing to bring to the table. I had nothing to bring in this glorious gift of grace. I had nothing. I was completely guilty. And he forgave me out of his riches, out of his love and his grace. And so that same resource, that same love that carried him to the cross and the power of that love that raised him from the dead and he ascended bodily into heaven, that same love and resource, so to speak, 
is implanted in you at the very moment you're born again. So previous to being born again, you could honestly say, I can't forgive that person. They've done this to me. They've done that to me. I know what they've done to people. I will not forget that person. And you're right. You can't forgive that person. But when you're born again, you now have him within you, his love. And so what you then say is, I can't forgive you. I can't forgive that person, God. I need your help to do that. And it may be a miraculous, instantaneous revelation and realization, and, and you can do it. It seems like more frequently, it's a process in your own heart, learning to forgive, learning to let go. And I talked about it on Sunday a little more detail under the topic of being, you know, not being hateful. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So, you know, we we'll have to think about the people that don't come to Wednesday night because some of those complain about each other, but, you know, we don't. You know, we wouldn't have a complaint again. We wouldn't have a, an observation of indifference towards another person, or would we? Yes, you would. Now, let's, not, let's make sure we're not, you know, nitpicking too much. You should have variants and variables. If you're individual and non-uniform but united, there's, there's going to be different things. You know, iron sharpens iron. It actually is beneficial to be around people that are different. You know what happens when, you know, because that's what it says about, you know, fellowship and brethren and, and brotherhood, you iron sharpens iron. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly off. It gets a little heated. It gets a little awkward. And so what I just say, when you have to work out differences and things, make sure you work it out with yourself first. Because most of the things that I think I need to work out initially with somebody, it's not their problem. It's my problem. There really isn't anything to work out with them. It's got to be something I got to work out within. Now, if I then legitimately have a, a re, something that needs to be resolved and dealt with or diff, you know, handled, then I want to make sure I want to have the right mindset as Christ forgave me, so also I must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. <laughs> it's the glue that holds it all together. You can't love the way you're called to love unless you are consciously aware of the love he's given you. And then we can say, you know, God, I, I just, I struggle with loving them in the way you're showing me to. So I need your help. See, we're, we're told to live with a childlike faith, agreed? Now, there's a difference between a childlike faith and childish faith. Childish would be something that you have a higher maturity level, but you choose to live at a lower level. You're being childish. But childlike when Jesus said that, he said, you know, he's basically saying, listen, you have to have this type of faith. It's the faith we started with. It's the faith when we first come into a born-again experience, a born-again relationship with God. We had, we had this, we, okay, I, I don't know what to do. I didn't know the terms. I didn't know the doctrine. I didn't know the explanation. I knew I needed forgiveness. I asked God for forgiveness, and I'm like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I'm looking around and seeing people that do things different because they're church people. But, my God, I don't, I don't know what to do. And early on, I, I, God had just given me this awareness. And I pray, God, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want, I'm afraid of religion. I, I, there's an appeal and a power, and there's, I don't want anything to do with that. And Kim was raised with a Jehovah Witness uh, influence. I was raised with the LDS, with the Mormon influence. So there's, there's two collisions already. And that caused us to say, man, I, I don't want anything. I don't want that. I want, 
I want this. I want to. I want to walk with you. I want to be able to love the way you love. Show me how to live. I want to live this childlike faith, and and you should never deviate from that. As a pastor for over thirty years, it's the one circle of life that I'm glad I'm going back to. You know what I'm saying? We go through these moments where life goes from simplicity to complexity. Agreed? You, you, it naturally gravitates from simplicity to complexity. But it's not necessarily by God's design, it's by our choices. And so as I kind of work through things and try to work it out and try to understand and to find a verse to support my opinion, and I come back around like, I don't know, God. I don't know. You do, and I'm so glad you do. So many times that I'm working through difficulties and exercising this childlike faith, I conclude my conversational sense of prayer with a, with a worship set, with the worship list, my own playlist. Because I've got to put, stop my mind from asking questions and wondering what if, and just say, you know what, you got it. I, I'm not just trying to be Mr. Positive. I just know you have it. I know your promises. So I'm just going to stop the brain right now in a sense of petitioning and requesting, and I'm going to praise and worship. And I just literally fight to get that into that mode. I, maybe that'll work for you too as an encouragement. Put on love and let the peace of God rule in your heart. It's a different Greek word there that it's not talking about inner peace. It's not meaning to, to remove that. There is an inner peace that a Philippians 4 talks about, a peace that surpasses understanding. You know, you present all your requests to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God. Will, uh, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. So there's this peace that's a result of the relationship, the conversation, the prayer. That's an inner peace. This is a relational peace that it's referring to there, the Greek word that's used in this particular text. And the peace of God will rule in your hearts. Notice it didn't say singular heart like it would be if it's talking about inner peace. It's plural. And so it, the, the, the peace of God would rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body and be thankful. I am a very thankful that we, there is one body in Christ. It's a little of a head scratcher that there's such a, a range of different gatherings in churches and sorting out some of that, but really it's not that complicated. There's one body and that's what we're called into and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the word of Christ dwell, and it speaks of abide, or to take up residence within you, and, and, and let it not just be present in the, in the storage room, but let it dwell richly in all wisdom, you know, really giving it the center point, allowing it to be like, I really want to know this. We, I mentioned it here a few weeks ago. In all you're getting, the Proverbs tell us, in all you're getting, get understanding. Because it's telling us, hey, it's just so important that we get from the Lord understanding and the wisdom. And, of course, the Proverbs speaks oh, no, consistently about gathering wisdom and understanding and, and, and getting these things and let them dwell within us. And notice we're, we're teaching and admonishing one another. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, there's praise and adoration. Yes, our focus is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also telling us that even as we gather here, even as we have communication, even as we just corporately worship together, we're actually encouraging one another to be here. We're encouraging one another through our activity, through our thoughts, through our conversation, with a follow-up text, with a phone call of concern, with a, hi, how are you? Those are things that have come through genuine, what the Bible says, koinonia fellowship, 
real fellowship. So the word of Christ brings that, and in these various aspects and elements of expression, the, the, the songs and hymns and various things, singing with unmerited favor, undeserved kindness in your hearts to the Lord. Let grace always be consciously present. Grace is not where we just kind of overlook things. Grace is realizing an unmerited favor, undeserved kindness from God. I hope we long to be known as people that are gracious with wisdom rather than uptight legalists and religious. Because some people are really good at rules. So many Christians are really good at rules. They will apply them to you. They get grace, you get application of rules. And it's just, it's really odd how it comes about. And sometimes it's through, I won't go there, but sometimes it, well, I will too. Sometimes it's through just, you know, our own insecurities and we're not, we're not confident in the word. So when people are insecure, they're often boisterous or they're louder than they should be. Why is that? Because they're insecure. They're not sure about what they're saying. They don't want you to know they're stupid. So they open the mouth and remove all doubt, basically, but they just speak louder sometimes. It's a normal human behavior. It's not just cultural. You know? So my point to all this being, it's like, you know, let's just let this grace reside in whatever you do, which is all-inclusive, what's left. Whatever you do in word or deed, so thought or action, however you want to see it, whatever you do, let everything, because see, that's the point of letting go of this and letting our relationship with the Lord, the knowledge of his presence and the confidence in his promises, believing that he will do this work. And so whatever I'm doing, I, I can be talking to him about it. And if it's something that I have to say, I'll be right back. I went into the bowling alley as a young Christian. I'd been bowling on this one league. They invited me to bowl on the league with them because they were all like, they call scratch bowling. If you ever bowled much, you know that means they don't have a handicap. They're just zero bowlers, basically. They're, they're really good, basically. But it was a handicap league. So what that meant is they needed a couple bad bowlers, and I was a nominee. I was one, actually one of the better ones, the bad ones. So they invited me to be on this because I brought a high handicap for you know the team, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, it comes to mind just as I'm sharing this because I walked into the bowling alley, Timberlanes on Emerald and Orchard in Boise, uh, it used to be called Timber Lanes, but anyways, I walk in, I'm excited, I'm a young Christian, I'm a nerd, I got two bowling balls in this bag and another one here, and I'm going through, you know, open the door, I walk in and I'll be right back. And before I open the next door, I stop, like, I'll be right back. Why did that go through, why did I, well, I'm thinking, I, I'm literally, I'm sure I look like a total numbskull, but I'm standing partway in, partway, I'm like, what, I'll be right back, what? And I realized I was telling the Lord, I'll be right back. You wait in the car. I'm going to be in here for a couple hours. You know, so I'll be right back. So that's one of those I had to say. And whatever you do in, in, in word or deed, hardly tell, am, I, am I telling him I'm going to come back? I've approved this behavior. Now, there wasn't anything wrong with the bowling in my mind at that time. What it was is I just didn't think it's where he would want me to be. So there was the problem. He was never convicting me, like, you don't go in there, you can't be around those people. He was just saying, don't be like those people. Because I started the league and, and, and was bowling before I became a Christian. So let's just say sometimes my wit and my profanity rallied with each other and it wasn't pretty. And so I started changing my language and started changing because of this relationship. And of course, 
I got removed from the team not too long after that because I didn't fit in. <laughs> and I never never got in their grill with the Bible or nothing. But you, you get what I'm saying. I was more concerned about what the Lord had to say than what other people were saying. I didn't want to lose them as friends. But whatever I did in word or deed, I wanted to do full tilt heartily as unto the Lord. We can't skip this next section. We'll just stop here for you guys. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Just kidding. <laughs> so this is a powerful verse because it speaks of order, not inferiority or superiority. And there's a mutual submission that the Bible presents to you. Now, you can read through other passages in the New Testament that address this specific relational element. And so, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Your desire is for your husband to come to know the Lord or to walk close with the Lord. And you want to work, you want to do that together. It doesn't mean that if he's not walking with the Lord, you get to go rogue. It just means you know, submit, recognize the order, it doesn't mean he's superior, because here's the problem, men tend to read the first one, and they don't pay attention to the second one, they say, wives submit to your, if you ever said that, you are unbiblical, if you have ever said to your wife, you know, you need to submit to me, you are walking outside of scripture, why do I say that, because it says right here, wives, now you need to ask yourself, which one am I, the husband or the wife, I'm not saying who wears the pants in the family. But you're, saying, what, what, you're not the wife, guys. Skip it. It it's already says it's to them. You can see wives, not me, moving on to 19. Don't even need to read the rest of it. When a guy says, listen, you're supposed to submit, he already has misunderstood and misapplied and arrogantly brought uh, an, an indifference to the marriage. Because he's, he's not dressed him. His, one, his is next. Yours is next, guys. Husbands. Okay, pay attention. Love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And I believe it's in uh, Ephesians. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Always. Even before we know it as the church, the ecclesia called out one, he still loved the church. Always. And so here you see, love your wives, as, uh, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So many things in this, just this, this closing portion of how you live. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, you know, when they're under the authority of the home, there's not a magic age like 18 that we try to apply in our society, but there's that point where you're under the rule of the parents in a, in a home you grew up in, and you're to obey the parents. It's not that you can be uh, disobedient later, because we're also told to honor your parents, but there's that element when you're there, then, then you obey your parents for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Father, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We're to raise them up and build them up with admonition. Bond servants, that can be translated employees, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service, or kiss-ups we could say, as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, because remember, Back where we started, whatever you do in word or deed, do heartily unto the Lord, no matter whether you're working for somebody or as it'll go on to speak of as an employer, as a master, you would treat them good as well. Whatever you do, verse 23, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. He who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. Knowing who you are affects 
how you are. And as we let that ruminate and settle into our souls and work through us, I, I think we'll be encouraged through this whole chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, quite honestly. I don't know why, because it's one of the most convicting. Maybe that's why. It brings more correction to my life than some of the other portions. It's just one that God just seems to really amplify and show me. Listen, he encourages me through it. I find myself challenged in a good way and comforted and, and also very humbled. And so... Um, we're going to take communion tonight, so I ask Greg to, to come up and lead us in a song of worship. Um, we obviously we, we usually take communion on the first Sunday on, 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 on our weekend services, but we also like to do it on Wednesday night. Some people can't make the Sunday service, but also it, we're, we're not really given a biblical uh, schedule as to when we take communion. We're just told that um, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. That was Jesus' words. Whenever you, you recognize his body and his blood and what he's done for you, then do it in remembrance of him. It's not meant to be a qualifier to get into some religious club. It's not meant to be uh, anything ritualistic. His own words, as often, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He was very specific. It was about the relationship you have with him. And so... What I'd like to do is we'll just stand and just we'll just kind of follow basically how we do on Sunday morning. We'll just stand up and Greg will lead us in a song of worship. And if you choose to take communion tonight as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, then you can just step over here and, and pick up the um, juice and the, um, the bread as well, the elements. And so why don't we pray and then uh, we'll uh, have the opportunity to pick up the communion elements during the song of worship. Will you stand with me? God, there's just so much we looked at tonight, and I know you're touching our hearts and reminding us, Lord, you're awakening us, um, stirring within us, and you know our desire more than we know it ourselves, Lord, and ultimately, we do want to be walking by faith, we want to please you, we want to know you in a deeper way, and so, Lord, each one of us here, we're at different seasons of life, we're even in different spots in our journey with you from a sense of, of understanding or maturity. And we just thank you that you brought us here tonight and you were teaching us, God. And we want to remember what you've done for us and recognize what great price you paid that we may have life. So we sing this song to you, Lord Jesus. Prepare our hearts to remember what you've done. Thank you. Amen. Amen.